you go through the... Were you the in the sanatorium when you were... <laughs> like, no, I, I th- at I any think, point? I think oh, hang on! Is this, any, is this any better? It sounds it. it sounds What's it. Chris Wyeth done? Yeah, we can still see you, but um, sounds good. I may have completely um, destabilised their entire <laughs> internet system in their Brilliant. house. But I've, un- I've unplugged something and um, plugged my cable in. <laughs> so Set you've no idea. Ruining people's Let's, lives. We'll, we'll cross that bridge later. So you've no idea what you've unplugged? No, well, they, they have one, one lead leads down to... There's not a dialysis machine or anything like that <laughs> around <laughs> near you, is there? No? They want to know dad's... Sure? No, they don't, they don't plug my dad's dialysis machine into the Wi-Fi, Chinch. <laughs> oh, yeah, but just... The, I thought the power... You'd, you'd I'd have thought the someone, power. someone that spent as much time being operated on as you would have a clearer oh, idea. I like of, it. Uh, Good comeback. Good uh, comeback. Boom, boom. Aren't some pacemakers <laughs> connected to the internet? So yes, that, they uh, are. Yeah, I meant, I meant pacemakers, sent. not also, kidney dialysis machines. Are you telling me that dialysis machines don't work like Strava? <laughs> yeah. I've read this much today. Here's a picture and I'm going to tweet it. <laughs> I've that... run f- I've run 5k but my liver liver and kidney functions are now completely <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen Dave's kidney functions they are absolutely <laughs> remarkable what did well, you they were week, they were until 200 were, yards to go were, and then yeah, yeah, and then yeah. Then like everything else, famously they... collapsed. This is Set Piece Money, the podcast where four friends talk <laughs> football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Stephen Wyeth, Save the Last Dance, Rory Smith, Dirty Dancing, and Andy Hinchcliffe, Ray's Male Heterosexual Dance Hall, which what? is an actual movie. Not one quoted by Michael Antonio when he's trying to explain uh, his goal celebration, but that actually won an Oscar for a short movie back in 1988. Ray's Male Heterosexual Dance Hall. All old people, let us know. Was it good? I would quibble my categorization as dirty dance, dirty dancing. What, what does, what's that trying to, what are you trying to say? Well, I'm Just trying to say, it. <laughs> trying to say that you're the legitimate one and Steve is the misremembered one. You're the Swayze one. in the room, yeah? <laughs> oh, I'll take Swayze, take Swayze all day long. The food is, I imagine, some sort of eight-course extravaganza enjoyed on a daily basis by Stephen, who is currently residing with his parents in Hampshire. Northamptonshire, Hugh. Oh they yes, they've moved. moved. They've moved, haven't they? they about two years ago. They added um, a north to <laughs> just to just to make them. And they've only just told to Steve Stephen. the new address. <laughs> and I, I hunted them down, Chinch. Had to uh, had, had to reach out to the authorities. We've had a we've had a tremendous barbecue, Ooh. and a massive chocolate cake oh. to celebrate my youngest brother's birthday. And I can't tell you how much I resent being dragged away from it, and precious oh. time with my extended family to speak to you. As if you're that bothered. And also, which one is your youngest brother? Uh, Luke. Ah, Ooh. has he collapsed in any marathons? No, he's wise enough not to attempt any sort of endurance sport. What would you say is the thing that Luke came closest to achieving, but narrowly failed to do so at the end? <laughs> is he a father? He is, he has two. Oh, so two, two little there. girls. No, well, no. As far so. as we know. Do you, think, do you think when the Wire family get together, they just they just talk about their near things and <laughs> misses, <laughs> almost successes? Remember that time you almost got that job but didn't? <laughs> I'm slightly concerned. Well done, that... high five, Wyatt. R- Rory, what, what do you deem to be the thing that I nearly achieved? Uh, you nearly achieved uh, membership of a successful podcast. Yeah. But, but fell short when the podcast wasn't successful. Uh, so that's me being dragged down by three other people. That's very true, yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you, what, well, that's a good question. What is the thing that you nearly achieved that would, would have made you proud, but then at the end you collapsed and failed? <laughs> this feels like an introspective that 
would be a terrible start to what is supposed to be a relatively jovial hour's worth of football conversation. Is this the defeat from the jaws of victory, sir? Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Well, this is the latest in the day we've ever recorded it. And now we know uh, that around about four o'clock in the afternoon, Rory likes to drag everybody down. <laughs> no, I've been, in, I've been in a very... Um, as I was just saying, I was talking to two of my former colleagues uh, about people we'd met in the world of the media last night. And I realised that some of them are so ridiculous that they must be imaginary. So I'm now questioning the, the very fabric of reality. What do you not mean ridiculous? Not people I work with now. Just, just, I mean, there was one person who I genuinely worked with, apparently, who was once sent to cover a story about some forest fires. And as is newspaper tradition, was pictured at those forest fires to, to kind of prove that he was there. Mm. But he was wearing a full suit. <laughs> who wears a full suit to a forest fire? Got to make a good impression. Ridiculous. That can't have happened. What do you that wear for a forest could... fire? What, what is the dress code for a forest fire? Protective equipment, change. Oh, That's okay. You... Yeah, or don't go too close to the fire. You can wear so what you want then. I'd say protective equipment one. Uh, number two choice would be something that it's easy to run in. To be perfectly honest. <laughs> this, is, this, is from, this is from a guy... <laughs> This is, this is from a guy who uh, had to buy a jacket for a flight with the Manchester United team because he was too scared to walk past Sir Alex Ferguson in the front row, knowing that there was a certain expectation of the dress code for a foreign trip with Manchester United. <laughs> Did you come with me to whichever mid-range boutique we bought the jacket from, Hugh? Were you I, on I that trip? I seem to remember that I, I was there and, and recommended yeah. at least that you should. I think you scared me in Manchester Airport ter Terminal 3, which, as we all know, is the worst terminal of the worst airport in Britain, and therefore is not an appropriate place to be scared by somebody. <laughs> well, it worked, and it's still a tale worth telling. Uh, the football is Chinch. Do you know what we're talking about today? It's a siege! We're talking about siege mentalities, or more specifically, as Cambridge-educated Rory Word Smith put it, can we all please move on from siege mentalities already? Like all things that were cool in the mid to late 1990s, we're not sure if they've come back around yet, although it would appear that they are indeed everywhere. Are we and the zeitgeist out of step, or is the siege mentality becoming just a little lame? Uh, that is to come. You can get in touch with the podcast at setpiecemenu at gmail.com. That's our email address. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. And please, do not forget to enter the SPM PLPL, which is a message that I bring to all our listeners, but mainly and most importantly to Andrew and to Rory because they need constant reminders. That's our incredibly simple competition that is definitely simple, although competition would suggest reward, which is frankly not something that will be forthcoming towards <laughs> you. If you head to tinyurl.com forward slash setpiece menu and put the 20 Premier League teams in the order you think they'll finish the season and then wait, most likely forget before the kind of reawakening spring is famous for just before the campaign ends. Points are awarded based on your prediction's proximity to their final position. A league table is then formed and off you go, literally, to make a nine-month-long cup of tea. That is tinyurl.com forward slash setpiece menu. Have until the end of Friday the 3rd of September. It's <laughs> Steve's mum. Steve's mum. I didn't see that. What happened? I've been, I've been here for three days. She's not been in this little cubby hole the entire time we've been here. And I was going to say, recording. you've not let her out. She now desperately needs something off the bookshelf. <laughs> Hello, Hello, Kate. Yeah. That is Steve's mum who's just taken the moment to, to, to broadcast herself. Uh, that's going to be a clip. <laughs> on social media. Um, you can, so yes, a reminder, get in touch with the podcast and uh, bearing in mind that we have just mentioned tinyurl.com forward slash setpiece menu, it brings us neatly to our first email, which is from Jacob Davis, the defending SPM PLPL champion. Oh, the big noise. Uh, dear Tommy, Chuckle, Phil and Lil. Uh, apologies if that's been used before, is someone keeping a list? 
Well, somebody's keeping a Buffalo list. If somebody could also keep a list of the introductions that people have on their emails for us, we'd also be grateful for that. Have we had Rugrats before? Seems to ring a bell. Oh, I can't remember. I greatly enjoyed the most recent pod on Top 6 Big 6, and one of the final points in particular around aspiring teams building a project successful enough to at least challenge for that fifth and sixth spot. Whilst fans of Everton, West Ham and Leeds all probably think it's within their grasp to succeed with their current players, managers and infrastructure, it seems to me that Leicester... Uh, are the most likely to break into the current big six. If this is not through returning more silverware in the next four to five years, it could at least be at the extent of doing a Spurs, which is missing out on something they should have wrapped up a long time ago, such as missing out on the top four in the past two seasons. However, being a fan of Aston Villa, there is a lot of talk by the club around the project. However, every good project manager, one assumes, will know that you have to overcome obstacles to achieve your aims. This was, of course, for Villa, the sale of Jack Grealish. Given his departure had been talked about for two or three seasons, the plans for his eventual cheerio meant that the club were in a position to plan ahead. Key signings of Buendia, Bailey and Ings were heralded as good business. So whilst a good season may be avoiding a relegation battle, there feels to be a clear plan from the club on how a future challenge to the top six not big six, has added some substance to the hope of fans. I'm also intrigued to see how Everton, Leeds and West Ham fare if their £100 million player gets sold. Finally, I've started drafting my SPM PLPL as a defence of my current crown. Much to Rory's horror, I always select it early, but do try to remember to tweak it after the closing of the transfer market, as I did for the 2021 season. And I'll be sure to buy Best Man Billy a coffee or two, which I haven't inserted, he's genuinely put that, uh, which allows me to remind everybody, if you could... Because he does curate and monitor the list throughout, buy Billy a coffee or two. So until my crown is dislodged, says Jacob, I shall remain smug about where I placed West Ham last season, which basically secured the title. And unless the higher accolade of Buffalo status is bestowed upon me at some point down the road, I'll place the figurative crown on the mantle to remain as a reminder that I was once good at guessing. Uh, many thanks. That is from Jacob Davis. He's, he's got to be a Buffalo already, isn't he? We don't, we don't automatically bestow a Buffalo upon the SPNPLPL winner, but I'm very happy to make that a thing. We haven't bestowed anything else upon him, so it seems the least we can mm. do. I was going to say, should we, in keeping with the traditions of the SPNPLPLPLPL, should we not promise to make him a Buffalo, but then forget to do it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob, consider this our moment of promise that will not be delivered upon. Uh, next is Marcus Mitchell on SPM244. Uh, dear your Wyatt's, your Smiths, your Ferrises, and your Chinches. Like uh, if you were to if you were to add uh, of this world, that would be Stuart Pierce, almost in a nutshell. <laughs> Uh, regarding SPM 244, actually first, great pod. One of my very few must listen to the day it is released pods, which he's put in inverted commas to make some sort of suggestion that's what people say but thanks that's very kind marcus the one point i wanted to make is who would announce the changing of the guard amongst the big six were it to happen who would it take to say the big six are now city united liverpool chelsea spurs and leicester for it to then be so a top manager a top top manager your clops your peps your dishes <laughs> or would it need to be a top journo or indeed a top top journo your winters your ruds your wilsons your glenn dinnings how about a top <laughs> presenter your cateses your linickers your humphreys your ferrises to simplify <laughs> who would it take to declare arsenal are no longer a top six club and leicester now are for it to be the law and everyone except anyone connected to arsenal just accepts it and that's it Obviously a hypothetical, but interesting to hear your thoughts on it all the same. Keep up the outstanding work. Marcus Mitchell. Should be the Queen of England, surely? <laughs> She's Isn't completely it? impartial. If it's going to be law, I think she she needs to have the final say. Does she know much about football? 
Do you remember on the day to day? There's actually a really good podcast by Radio Four called The Reunion, where they got the cast of the day to day together, and including Dune McKeegan, who played Collaterally Sisters, the business reporter, who used to announce the findings of like the currency arse and things like that. And it was kind of <laughs> the currency arse, the cheats grew closer today as the US cheat and the Chinese cheat joined in one large arse around midday. I think she should announce. Every day at seven, seven o'clock, six o'clock and seven o'clock on Irish TV when I lived in Dublin, they still broadcast the Angelus on RTE, so which is a prayer or a song or something, and that that interrupts a prayer day. or a song or something. It's something to do with something highly with, religious that people really care about. Something, something or other. It's something to do with your gods, your buddies, <laughs> <laughs> your false idols, all-knowing so, people. Whoa, not no, 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 no. The remaining members of the SPM team do not endorse Hugh Ferris's views. <laughs> the, but I wonder whether we maybe should have that in Britain, but instead on like Channel 5 at 6 o'clock every, every evening, someone should, Dune McKeaton should come along and announce the current members of the Big Six <laughs> in alphabetical order. It, it, and it then could, there'd be just be a day when like, it, it didn't start with Arsenal. It and then could, we'd um, <laughs> follow or precede the shipping forecast. Yeah, exactly. Oh, similar, a similar kind of vibe. That would more be more dramatic, you know, if you did it the other way around and Arsenal were the last team, because they're the ones, surely, um, aren't they? Under, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And it was always going to be out, and then it be somebody else. West yeah, Ham. maybe do it the other way around, yeah. It's a, it's a good point. We, we all, and I think we probably were all conscious of this at the time, lived through that that special, precious, remarkable moment in history where where Manchester City and Tottenham joined the Big Six to, to turn the Big Four into a Big Six. But I don't remember how it kind of... I think what happened in, in sort of semi-seriousness is that there would have been like a rash of articles saying the bid four are now a bid six, and that lots of people would have would have, you know, people like Ollie Holt and Henry Winter and you know the bid noises would have your would Holtzes have done, and your Winters is your Holtzes, your Winters, your Syeds would have done pieces <laughs> saying like this is this is now a, a bid six. You know, we have to confront this as a bid six, and it would have caught on from there, I guess, and then. I suppose the other the other route is probably given the given the way football's going. Presumably, if at some point Gary Neville declares it, then it will be accepted as fact. Is it is it like the JFK shooting? You know where you were when Tottenham and Man City joined the big six. joined the big six. It's something that we all know where we were. Mm. But I I do think again in a sort of I'm now at three quarters level seriousness. Leicester would have to get into the, they'd have to get into the Champions League for it to be conceivable, and they'd probably have to get into. I suspect the time that it changed with City and Spurs was when they were. One or both of them was in the Champions League, and neither Liverpool or somebody else was. There were successive seasons where Spurs beat City to get yeah. into the Champions League at City's expense, and then the following season, City did it at Spurs' expense. So I wonder if that two at some year, point in that, yeah, um, it was the, the yeah the first couple of years of Mancini's time at, yeah. uh, at Manchester City. So the turn of the decade, yeah, um, and it'll be. So you'd need that. I think you'd need Leicester to be. Say if Leicester qualified for the Champions League this year. You can see there being talk of a big seven, but as previously discussed, I'm not sure you can be relegated from the, from the big six. But credit to Arsenal for giving it a go. But basically, what you need is some kind of barometer where the the envy that other team supporters feel towards you goes from admiration to disgust, and yeah. that's when you become a member of the big six. Yeah, people probably like Leicester too much. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. not not happening for you at the moment, guys. Um, Arsenal are trying their very best to get relegated from the top 20, let alone yes. the top. Yeah, which is a <laughs> revolutionary move. Um, Jack Gunther has emailed before from New Jersey. Dear Hugh, Steve, Rory and Andy, no clever nicknames today because this is serious. Ooh. 
You may recall my email from the beginning of the summer concerning the advertising copy provided by a certain men's grooming company. I was thrilled to hear my alternative podcast-specific advertisements read out on SPM 236, Soccer Pod Potpourri. Had I known what was coming, I might have felt differently. At Hugh's request, I submitted a second SPM-specific men's grooming ad to be read out on episode 237. It was, admittedly, a weaker attempt. More to the point, SPM 237 will be forever known as the Bodhi episode. Welcome, Bodhi, and congrats, Hugh. Thanks. Between the quality of the email and the chaos of the day, I was not surprised to see my contribution left out. But slowly, I began to worry. Does men's grooming also take the summer off? Do the three-in-one summer pods never have advertisements? Where were the Manscaped ads? Can you even say Manscaped anymore? Then came a throwaway line in SPM 243, Leo leaves us cold. A glorious but brief association with men's grooming products aside, dot, 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 at 4 minutes 20 to 4 minutes 30. And now I have to ask, am I responsible for the brevity of that association? Is it my fault that Rory cannot now afford his Waitrose elite lifestyle? I shudder to even think what might befall Chinch, bereft as he now must be of complimentary top quality men's grooming paraphernalia. Mm. I have purchased some merch to soothe my guilty conscience. Confirmation attached, because I'm pretty sure that's a free ticket to having one's email read out these days. It is, and it is. But, <laughs> as with anyone who's stumbled into a love triangle of epic proportions, what I really need is closure. All the best from Princeton, New Jersey. That is Jack Gunther. Now, Jack, our association with the Ben's Grooming product you mentioned, to no financial uh, benefit to us anymore, is indeed on a break. Uh, we parted ways with a promise to catch up soon, but as you happily point out, we now have our own gear to shift. So for the time being, as my former program director in commercial radio used to say, we're going to let the good stuff breathe a bit. Head to tpublic.com and search for Seppi's menu or SPM. That's tpublic.com and search for Seppi's menu or SPM. Um, and just to warn uh, the other three members of the podcast, um, given that we have some merch to shift, over the course of the next few weeks, I will be landing one of you in the hottest of waters by saying to you, Rory, would you please come up with some merch copy to sell some merch? I don't expect it to be written. I expect it to be instinctive and off the top of your head and, of course, very important. In this context, was Rory an example of a name? Could it, could it be Chinch? Can you come up with some merch copy? Yeah, yes. could be, could be. It will be announced at, at some point in a future pod without you knowing. Okay. So just be prepared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and finally, thank you to Buffalo Mark Cole, who has kindly furnished us with our annual SPM bingo card. I have it here printed out poorly. Uh, and I would like to note that there is a merch plug on the bingo card, which is excellent. I'm also very pleased that the um, Stoke Pipeline trope that I mention very, very often uh, is on there. SPM PLPL is on there, strangely, because we mention it for three weeks and then don't for nine months. Uh, Monday Night Club is on, which Rory uh, affectionately refers to as the radio. Um, Buffalo and Squirrel <laughs> is on there. Uh, Leeds Bielsa Yorkshire is all at once, so that's going to get several hits. VAR and uh, Hipster Club Du Jour. Uh, next. Not, not because the, the new Hipster Club is one called Du Jour, uh, which would be excellent, but uh, clearly we have too many that we mention. Uh, is everybody happy with the SPM Bingo card 2021-2022? I feel like we haven't had a good new Hipster Club in a while, if I'm honest. Uh, do play along. It's on our Twitter feed at Setpiece Menu if you'd like your own copy. Correspondence of any kind, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Uh, now, Rory Smith is a mild mannered soul. And despite being a Yorkshireman, he is known to complain 
relatively little. Although it would appear the early part of the Premier League season has given birth to a bee in that not untouzled bonnet of his. In the interests of expediency, I will now offer the floor to our New York Times soccer correspondent for him to give air to his frustrations with the concept of the siege mentality and how a well-worn path from the days of pre-Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger not seeing anything has now become a tool of both the reactionary and indeed, frankly, the mediocre. In an episode called, and please adopt the whiniest of teenager tones here, can we all please move on from siege mentalities already? I think that it probably predates all that. I think it's probably a clough thing, isn't it? Everything's a clough thing in this country. <laughs> the um, it just really it, it just really sees mentality. Really, the ease with which managers and to an extent players indulge in trying to create these really like demonstrably false siege mentalities, I find impossibly boring, and the the laziness with which the media of which I count myself as a part recite that lazy stereotype of this is you know it's us against them is even more boring and what i find really surprising is that it it seems to work like people players and managers buy into it and it's is it, clearly is it, is complete it bullshit. is it unique to football or do, do companies big companies have siege mentality do you think do you think like sainsbury's are like sat in their meetings like the, the sales reps <laughs> at sainsbury's saying look they're all against us. They're all against us. And we are not going to give them the satisfaction. We are going to go out there and yeah. we're going to shift these runner ready-made, boil-in-the-bag pasta things. Yeah. And we're going to shift them in such massive quantities. We're going to prove them all wrong. They can, they can tell us that we're slightly overpriced compared to Tesco. They can tell us that we're not as good as Morrison's because obviously we're not as good as Morrison's. They can tell us that people will go to Waitrose to do their fancy shops, not to Sainsbury's, because we're not quite good enough. But do you know what? We have cornered the market in low <laughs> to mid-range fancy shopping. They don't actually don't. It's ridiculous. And it's, so, the, so, so, where, so where does it? Where does this come from then? It, because so I, th I think basically it's a media thing. I think it's an easy way of dressing up fairly banal press conference quotes as. Well, the two, so the two examples that, that gave rise to this subject were in descending order of annoyance. Um, Mikel Arteta, before Arsenal surrendered to Chelsea in 15 minutes, raging about how they, in inverted commas, can criticise us, they can drive, try, try to drive us apart, what I want is players who stand tall, which is like, it's a harmless thing for him to say, who cares? It's a manager, you, you know, manager will say something. But I kind of sat there and thought, well, hang on, who, what do you mean by they? Like Arsenal lost to Brentford. That's not, that's not a thing that someone invented. It's not an allegation. You know, it's not someone, someone has, has laid out an accusation that Arsenal lost to Brentford. Ar Ar Arsenal demonstrably lost to Brentford. And I say that as a man who, who thinks he invented uh, a journalist who wore a suit to a forest fire. But the like <laughs> Arsenal definitely lost to Brentford. It happened, it was on telly. And then the other example was Grealish celebrating, admittedly briefly, against Norwich after his goal, his first goal for Man City. And ESPN put out a tweet saying, with of a picture of him with his fingers in his ears, making the universal kind of I'm not listening gesture saying that he'd sent a message to his doubters. And I, I would say that there is no footballer on the planet who has fewer doubters than Jack Grealish, who's had a year, possibly 18 months, maybe two years, of, of unavowed, unrelenting adoration from everyone. I mean, he was the country's darling less than six weeks ago. And I, I think the two sides of it are that interest me. One is 
why the media indulge this siege mentality trope so much and so readily and to what extent players genuinely buy into it. It struck me that it might, it is possible, and look, Jack Grealish can do whatever he likes, but it struck me as possible that Jack Grealish might think he does have doubters. And th there is a, a long-standing example of this, which is, which is Grealish's manager, Pep Guardiola, who has, who has fairly continually since arriving in England, rather given the impression that he believes everything is a sort of a raid against Manchester City and that the whole kind of structure of English football is designed to prevent Man City winning things, which, and this is, this will go over badly with the the sort of small squadron of Man City fans on Twitter who complain about literally any mention of their club that isn't adoring. I, I find it a bit disappointing in Guardiola that he goes in for that, to be perfectly honest. As someone who loved him from almost the moment that he took the Barcelona job, and thinks he's done a remarkable, done remarkable things for football, and has changed the way that in, you know an entire continent plays football. Pep Guardiola's legacy really can't be overstated. It's it, for someone with of that kind of aesthetic belief of of those those playing principles, who seem to always seem to stand for something more than the humdrum and the mundane and the pursuit of the mere pursuit of trophies. That was always Guardiola's thing that he he wanted to win things in the right way, not just win things. It's, a, it's actually, I find it on a personal level, quite disappointing that he appears to be motivated by some sort of belief that he has to prove everyone wrong, despite literally everybody regarding him as the greatest coach of his generation. My favourite bit of that is uh, referring to those Manchester City fans as a squadron, which sits quite nicely with the idea that they sort of swoop in, in unison, pepper out some abuse and then disperse and uh, share, share war stories about it afterwards. Uh, as they do on Blue Moon and, and suggest that they'd like to assassinate journalists, which is very odd. This, the thing is, I, maybe this is just, it's, you know, half past four and I'm feeling a bit, a bit loose a lit. You, you shouldn't... Steve, like, Steve's had an afternoon of barbecue, which means an afternoon of, well, more than barbecue, I'd imagine. The, there are three just things... one, and it was a low, low alcohol one. There are three <laughs> things that... through his words. <laughs> The beer I had was... Uh, it genuinely, it genuinely was one of those 0.5%. I haven't had a drink, Ossifer. <laughs> he didn't say it was beer. It might have been oh. absinthe. It might have been like low quality absinthe. I've had Lucidogenic. some 60% yeah. eau de vie. Yeah. <laughs> what podcast great. do you think you're on, Steve? Food and drink one, isn't it? <laughs> it, it, was, it was methylated spirit, but I diluted it a little bit. Yeah, it, I had a mixer. I, I had a Coke on the side. <laughs> Um, there are three things that are enormously boring to everybody. One, telling people about your dreams. Two, telling people about your fantasy football team. Three, complaining about things that happen to you on social media because it, no one cares. But I tweeted that thing about Grealish and it took a little bit of time actually, but within 24, 36 hours, th this, there is a, a specific group, a subset of Man City fans who do this. It's not abuse, they, would, they do not abuse you, but they relentlessly chip away slightly shifting the meaning, slightly shifting the kind of the, the terms of debate, refusing to engage with anything even vaguely that you're saying. So you say one thing and they just ignore it completely and make the same point before. And it is an, it's an incredibly kind of oppressively enervating experience. And they are doing it out of love for their club. And then, as I say, they're not particularly abusive. They're just, they're, they are annoying. And it, the thing that always amazes me, and maybe I'm wrong here, I don't want people to think I'm a prick on social media, but 
whenever you have an in encounter with most most of these people, maybe this is what you know what that group of people don't realise. Not just not just City aren't the only club with them. Is that what what happens when like a journalist or whatever comes away from those encounters? Is not I'm not really upset. I just think I'm annoyed because I think well I've just had to spend time talking to a complete prick, and that isn't that like I, I don't want people to think of me like that. But they got really upset with me for suggesting that Grealish didn't have hate, doubters or haters or whatever, because he's been booed by opposition fans in every every game he's played for City. And you sort of think, well, what do you expect? Like he's a big money signing playing for a big club. They get booed. It's what happens. It probably probably shouldn't probably shouldn't be what happens, but it is what happens. There is. It's really hard to make an argument that anybody has doubted Jack Grealish enough in the last year to suggest that he he has been the victim of some sort of barrage of legitimate criticism. It might, may well have been that the celebration was related to him saying to the Norwich fans who were booing him, I'm not listening, I can't hear you, whatever. And that's fair enough, that's totally fair enough. But it was ESPN's usage of doubters, which I think was done to generate likes and to get more traction on social media and for no other reason than that, um, that put me in mind of thinking, well, hang on, does Jack Grealish think he's been doubted? I mean, can you think of, has anyone really doubted Jack Grealish? for quite a long time. I'm not sure they have it. Mm. At an earlier stage in his career, he was doubted, absolutely. And it would have been fair enough then. But now I just don't. And it just struck me that we, we seem to assume that everyone in football is motivated by a desire to prove the critics wrong. I saw someone say the same thing about Lukaku, that every, every time Lukaku scores, it's treated as though he's, he's facing down the critics. I'm not sure Lukaku's got that many critics. I think pretty much everybody accepts that Romelu Lukaku is one of the best three strikers in the world. And it might be that you think he should be seen as the best striker in the world, but being regarded as just a bit worse than Robert Lewandowski, that's not really... I mean, I would take that criticism. Is it, is it more of an individual thing? You mentioned Guardiola and Lukaku and Grealish. Is it becoming an individual problem, if it is a problem, rather than the team siege mentality? Do individuals now, whether it be for big price tags or coming back to former clubs or success at other clubs like Guardiola, is it, is it an individual that puts this pressure on themselves rather than a team well, kind of taking it all on board? Well, it, it depends who that individual is within the team because an individual yeah. can take it on on behalf of the team in order to try and generate the siege mentality to make your team Because I don't remember, I was, I was just thinking when I was playing, of course, every team I played for, unsurprisingly, had some really tough times. You know, running some games where we just couldn't win and we didn't know what the answer was it was because I was in the team but what you were injured was, but correlation we never, I, is not causation change yeah I, I just I, I never remember Howard Kendall Joe Royal Mel Machin uh, Paul Jewell if we have to talk about him saying right let's go around the training ground find all the hatches and batten them down and when you're driving home don't look left or right focus straight forward be blinkered it was it wasn't like that maybe what was said amongst the players or certainly maybe the coaches was look the next game, okay, we're there, hopefully, well, we're trying to entertain, but we're having a bit of a tough run. Don't worry too much about what the fans think or how they react. We need, to, as a group, we need to do this just to get a win, just to get back on track. That's the only, that, and again, if that's the siegement, that to me just seemed to be the obvious way to approach it. So, again, is that a siegement saying that? Saying don't worry about the fans' reaction and this is what we need to do. It's not about entertaining today, it's about winning so again, but is that a, is that siege mentality? There are two. There are two separate ways of dealing with this. There's a lot. There's a lots of uh, duopolies in this conversation. But the, the the one that you're mentioning, Chinch, is that there is a genuine siege mentality, mm. and then what Rory's talking about, which is a trope siege mentality. So, for example, but is that know, is that me saying again? We got to think about as a team or a, a squad. 
trying to get a result in the next game. Is that a siege? Is that no, siege no, mentality thinking? That's no, no. I never saw it that way. No, you, you, you could dress it up just about as saying ignore all the noise outside. Let's just mm. focus on ourselves. And you could maybe call that a siege mentality, but that's not really what what a siege mentality in football has become. A siege mentality in football is specifically aimed at some sort of external influence who yeah, is seeking yeah. to do you down. So so, so in the in the example that Chinch was using, if we t- talk about the generational examples, and then Steve's going to come in in a second, is that you've got a, a potential where there is a genuine siege mentality built up over a period of time because that is a management technique of the coach, the coaching staff, because they want to try and instill within that team that feeling that, that is, there is them us against the world mm. that that might have a genuine benefit for that team because it is a tried and tested management technique understandable but then it has morphed over the generations and perhaps sir alex ferguson is the kind of the turning point of it because he might have done both that and also used the trope in the media to try and give the impression that they were being doubted everybody was against them which helped them not only uh, instill that within his team but it also helped them um bring a positive onto a negative. It helped them turn the tables. It helped them gloss over an issue. It diverted attention away from something. So, for example, some of the siege mentality tropes over the course of the last few years have been the likes of Jose Mourinho talking about something which is nothing related to the game in order to uh, distract you from his team's poor performance, which is, again, something that Sir Alex Ferguson did. So there is a real siege mentality, which might be something that works. It might be something that you do in-house, but there seems to be a development of that so that it's become such a thing that they now actually don't do anything in-house to try and create a siege mentality. Mm -hmm. They just talk about it in order to be able to control the media narrative around you. And in doing so, you are often, like Mikel Arteta, trying to distract from the fact that your team is rubbish, not playing very well, second bottom of the league as we record this, so that you can create, instill this trope now because it doesn't have any genuine effect and also doesn't really reflect what's going on inside the club. Yeah, Hugh's right that it is still an entirely legitimate way to go about things to try and create unity. I think from the examples that Rory has given, and I'll, I'll add another one, it is that they've gone too early with this siege mentality at the stage of the season. Because the other one that I think stood out for me over the weekend was both Jurgen Klopp and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer complaining about the physicality of the games that Liverpool and Manchester United were in, respectively. Well, guys, you know, from the, from the Manchester United example, you can't complain that football has suddenly become physical because of the first challenge on one of your players in your first away game of the season. You mm. need a greater body of evidence before you start going down that route. However legitimate or otherwise your claims might be, your grievances, even if certainly in the, in the case of, of Manchester United, I didn't feel there was any evidence of that whatsoever. But you, you've, just, you've gone too early. And the same thing is true of Mikel Arteta sort of circling the wagons. What, after losing away from home to a promoted side and playing very badly? That's the wrong time to be using that tactic. And so too with what ESPN tweeted about Jack Grealish. There was nothing more to that than he had scored a goal right in front of a section of support that was probably jeering him to try and put him off a little bit earlier on in the game. And nothing says silencing your doubters like the ball cannoning in off you from three <laughs> yards out to get you off the mark. So, you, they, you know, you, you, need, you need Grealish to cut in off the flank against one of the other big sides and curl it into the top corner before him putting his fingers in, in his ears is deemed to be a silencing of the doubters. And I think that's, 
from the examples that Rory has given, that is the issue with, with where that trope has come in. It's it, it way, way too early in the season to be using those kinds of things. If that's right. I, th- I do wonder to what extent... Chin, what Chin said is really interesting. I do wonder to what extent the concept of the, the trope of the siege mentality has become so embedded in football that everything is presented through this lens of the siege mentality that it is now the kind of constant working environment of every team. Do we think that, that players feel like they are being continually criticised? Because if we do, then that's probably a conversation we need to have quite openly if players but are they a bit on social media well so the problem is i think you've got to separate it and this is this is this sounds really pernickety and really sort of pedantic i think you have to separate it between like if jack Grealish posts something there are going to be loads of people yeah. swearing at him in yeah. his mentions or replies because they don't support man city and there'll be lots of people who are man united fans or liverpool fans or chelsea fans or villa fans in Grealish's case who want to say something horrible to him on social media, and I'm not excusing. But that must be where that must be where the, his well, thought that, process comes from. Must that's be. what I'm wondering, or if that if that is his thought process, and we should probably yeah. point out, we don't know what his thought process yeah, yeah, is. Yeah. But I think that that's sad that that happens, and that shouldn't happen. Jack Grealish should be able to post whatever he wants, and people who don't like Jack Grealish because he plays for the wrong team, or even people who don't like Jack Grealish because they don't think he's that good, which is a kind of wrong opinion to have, but is a, it, it, if that's your opinion, that's your opinion. It's football. It's only football. It doesn't matter. The, they shouldn't say anything. That, you know, it's, it, it, he's got a right to have a pleasant online experience just as much as, as I do or you do, or, or will not change. He doesn't do it, but Steve does. And that's, and it is bad. I'm not condoning the fact that happens. But equally, I don't think it's really fair to say that that's criticism, because what that is, is you playing for one football team over another. That's all that is. And and I'm sure that most players are able to discern between the two. I think what, what can be more, more troubling is when you get fans, and this, this has happened to I me, mean, there's a piece about Phil Jones that I've read in the last couple of days that, and it's a case, he's, he's a kind of an extreme case of it, but Phil Jones had that from, from a load of Man United fans saying, get out of our club, you're not good enough to play for us, you know, go away. He's had to leave, as far as as I know, he's basically left all social media. That counts as criticism. And then there's there's criticism from within the media. And I think that's the other aspect, maybe this isn't very coherent, sorry. The other aspect that we we maybe need to take into, into consideration is the speed and the noise created by the media. So a lot of this stuff happens because, I mean, I saw, and I, I think Arteta was completely wrong. I think what I think what Arteta said was the sign of a fairly desperate manager clutching at straws, basically. But I did see Arsenal's start to the season described in one paper as an awful start to the season. Now, if I'm completely honest, I don't think one game is the start to the season. It's there was an awful. They were bad in that game, but that's not that's not a start to the season. The start to the season is the first five or six games. Don't get me wrong. I think Arsenal will have an awful start to the season after five or six games. <laughs> they just haven't had it yet. But they've just not had it yet. And I wonder if it's in and, that... And in, con- defen- in defence of that of that word, it, it is fair to use that word because it was the beginning. The season did start. So, I mean, it, and yeah, again, this it's is just a semantics, but it's it's fair for, for that to be written, even though the, the, the what it gives the impression of is misleading. It they isn't, it isn't. Badly. They've started badly, but it's too early to deem it to be overall a bad start. Yeah, they've started badly, but they haven't finished starting. Yeah. 
In the same way the that problem. you can start a game. You can play badly for the first yeah. 10 minutes and start the game badly and still get something from it because you play exactly. better in the next 80 minutes. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it is, it, the semantic, it, it is semantic, Hugh, but it's, it, the semantics are important because they create, they, that creates an environment. And it creates an environment in which the managers have to react. And they are, you know, they're constantly being asked questions and, and the clock is a separate subject. But the clock thing, I think, has been semi-deliberately taken in bad faith. And there's a... There's the wrestling a, comments. Yeah, there's a perfectly legitimate point there that he made. And that, that you know, that would be dismissed as bias or whatever. But there is a perfectly legitimate point that he made about Burnley's specific approach in that game. And he made it perfectly calmly. And he just sort of... And it's an interesting thing to talk about, you know, the, the free-flowing refereeing. What he's not saying, Klopp was very clearly not saying you should blow up every foul like a rugby union referee. He was saying Ashley Barnes should not be allowed to haul Joel Matip down 20 yards away from the ball just because he wants to do it. That is not, and, I, and most fans would agree with that. That's not a controversial subject. But you have this media environment where everything happens immediately, where everything's sort of semi-taken out of context, where everything counts as quotes, everything counts as content, everything is kind of you live a lifetime in a day. And I do wonder how much the, the managers and the players within the game now, in a way that Chinch didn't when he was playing, in which they have been conditioned by that environment to think, actually, do you know what? It does look an awful lot like everyone's against us. So, so what should Arteta have done? Risen, ab saw what was coming and risen above that? It's easy. How... That's really easy. You say, we didn't, we didn't play to the level that we expect as a club in that first game, and it's our job now to put it right. That is not complicated. You do not need to yeah. reach for, you don't need to reach for some sort of invisible enemy. And he, yeah, he, he, not only did he gone too early, but he went on the back of the wrong evidence. Yeah, exactly. And that you know, and unfortunately, there is plenty of evidence over multiple seasons now that, in terms of that galvanizing spirit you don't feel as though Arsenal is the club where that is best demonstrated. Is he, so is he therefore... playing for sympathy though, Steve, do you think? Well, it's, you... it's, the, it's the, the attempting to cover over the cracks by making yeah. it a thing. You, yeah. are, you are attempting to not talk about what's really wrong tactic, by giving the impression, yes. impression yes. that what is wrong is not you, but the attitude of others towards yes, exactly. you. And that is mm -hmm. a, a diversion it, tactic. It, yeah. it almost, with Arteta, it almost bordered on him saying that... It almost had the impression that they had, they'd actually played quite well against Brentford and it was all a big lie constructed by some sort of nefarious external media source to pretend that they were bad because everyone's got it in for Arsenal. And that is, and I say this as someone who likes Mikel Arteta, both as a person and thought he was an appointment for Arsenal, that is pathetic, genuinely pathetic. It's possibly, we, we've talked in the past, haven't we, about whether man managers say things in the media in the hope that message gets through to their players in a, in a different fashion. I wonder whether there was a little bit of that there and maybe even more so some tough talk for the benefit of the supporters who'd had a pretty wretched eight or nine days on the back of what happened at, at Brentford and perhaps he felt like they needed to, to hear other, the manager other supporters, come out. In... Could the other supporters, not duped is probably the wrong word, but, but if he comes out and says that, will the supporters who've watched the games think, hang on a minute, we've seen those matches, we, we just simply didn't play well enough and we need to improve. That You don't need to go down that road. Is he trying to, again, as you're saying, with it being a tactic, is he trying to send everybody, including the fans, down a different path while he gets things, or he tries to sort things out? Fans aren't idiots. They, mm. they, they, there won't be many. No, I mean, 
Steve's shaking his head. The, 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 I'm, agree, I'm agreeing with you, you're right. They're not, yeah, but he's been not drinking right. heavily. You know, so it's, it's hard to tell whether he's right or wrong. Gallons of the 0.5 stuff. Um, just be, before you make that point, Rory, which I'm sure will be incredibly valid, it's interesting that Chinch <laughs> made a previously valid comment because I think he knew the email that I was going to read a section of, which chimes rather nicely with the point that he just made. It's from Sam Fires in Jersey City. Uh, it, this is just part of a much longer email about Arsenal. Here's an Arsenal fan. And a lot of the, the further points that he made are of great interest, but don't necessarily work at this point of the, of the podcast. So we'll just take the section which makes him look silly. No, we'll just take the section uh, that is relevant. Here is uh, Sam. Greetings, Ted, Coach Beard, Nathan and Higgins, which uh, for all Ted Lasso fans uh, will be uh, something that they like to hear. Uh, two matches into the season with zero goals and zero points. Arsenal are barreling towards crisis as Manchester City loom on the horizon. Mikel Arteta got a lot of flack from journalists on Twitter, including one Rory K. Smith, uh, when he suggested a shadowy cabal of critics were trying to bury Arsenal with negativity. To be fair to Arteta, this was most likely an attempt to create a siege mentality around the club and rouse both players and supporters into a positive reaction against Chelsea. It didn't work. And all those men against boys takes that seem to come with every Arsenal loss against the side of quality seem to multiply by Monday morning. Um, that's from Samir Fires in Jersey City in New Jersey. So does that mean, Rory, that he as a fan appreciates and understands the tactic that Mikel Arteta is trying to adopt and buys into it and says, OK, I get it. I will be on your side and I will come along the ride with you. Or does that mean that he gets it to the extent that he's ignoring what Mikel Arteta has said? Probably the latter, I would have said. I think... <laughs> I think the the one yeah the one other aspect of it is that I think if we're all so conscious that managers I think we're all quite wise to what managers are trying to do, in a way that we maybe weren't certainly with Clough, and probably even in in the early days of Alex Ferguson rather than before he became before rather than Sir Alex Ferguson, the and certainly I mean Mourinho I think I think we should give a nod to here as the man who really flogged the dead horse of the siege mentality idea I mean no no one has. I mean, that was basically to an extent all Mourinho had by the end was I can create a siege mentality. The problem being that it was basically him against his players and his own club's fans and their executives and their friends and their friend's servants and their friend's servants' tennis partners. It was, it was genuinely everybody. That a, it was snap, just... a snapshot of Rory's ilkly life there. The, that's a black hat. You must recognise that as a black yes, quote. Yes, oh, is it? No, I didn't yes, know that. The black quote. Yes, yes. The, I'm, I'm up to speed did, with day to day, but Blackadder has not stayed in the memory. Mourinho, Mourinho probably killed it. If anything, does he did it? He just did it so reflectively all of the time. <laughs> Sorry, the day to day dead horse. Everything comes together in a circle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, American the, friends, Google it. Yes, this is this is a culturally specific episode. The I I think fans are wise to what managers are doing, and I think at times they will accept it. But at times, and as Steve has already alluded to, for the reasons that he's covered, with Arteta, it's such a transparent attempt to do something that doesn't really apply in this situation. The problem is not... The problem with Arsenal is not that Arsenal are being criticised. That is not the problem with Arsenal. The problem with Arsenal is that Arsenal are rubbish. And the, fa the fans will recognise that and they will see Arteta doing that for what it is, which is an attempt to... A, a distraction. What interests me the most is how much, play, how much players themselves buy into it. And yeah. from what Chink said, his generation maybe didn't. I mean, you, you, this, this will sound like a, a dig and it's really not meant to, but you, you had periods in your career when you were criticised. And if you didn't, you should have. <laughs> it, it was a dig until it wasn't, and then it was again. Yeah, but it, again, it was because life was very different then. It tended to be not internal criticism as internal of my body, but within the club, <laughs> criticised by the coaching setup. 
Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So anything that was, again, it, and then it was all dealt with and they tried to improve you without anyone else knowing. Mm. Now everything's so out there. It would be interesting to see, yeah, do the Arsenal players feel, yeah, the world is out to get us or you're just playing some shit football. But the, and again, is... you've got to then appreciate that and put that right. And it, there isn't a siege mentality. You're just looking to create one. But do the players, is that is that how they see it in the dressing room? And we, we it just wasn't, it just wasn't that, that phrase, although it was around and we knew maybe with Fergie and everything, but it was just never, never used. But I'm, I'm interested about this because you are a good example, Chinch. Because I am, aren't I? Of what? Of everything. Oh, yeah. Um, a, a fantastic footballer. Yeah. To children. You're a good example to children. <laughs> yeah. Of, of be careful. Yes. It can yeah. go badly wrong. Try Sli- harder. Slightly yep. fewer tattoos, if I would choose. Um, but there oh, is. Oh, there's no need <laughs> for that, oh. is there? Hey? Oh. Where, what's, Hugh, what's, where's Hugh, that come from? Same Hugh, amount, Hugh, just smaller. Hugh, what? It's, not, it's not 1950 anymore. It's not. It, they're not just for sailors and prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> but when Chinch started getting them, hmm. um, <laughs> but, there, but you are a good example because there, there were times during your during your career where you had an element of self doubt. So if if should we apply a more sensitive context to somebody like Jack Grealish, who Rory is right has received excellent notices, particularly recently. But if, and, and I know this is the, the, the example against Norwich was very much the micro. It was, he heard Norwich fans booing him, so he put his fingers in the ear for them. But there is also a macro in that he is getting so much more attention these days. And it's not just social media. If you uh, talk to my wife, Gemma, she will tell you that on the showbiz pages of the Mail Online app, he is starting to feature quite a lot. Why? Because he's become a hundred million pound footballer and he's joined Manchester City. His lifestyle might change, but over the course of the last few weeks, I doubt it would have changed that much to mean that he's doing something completely different to be um, worthy of all that extra attention. And he is going to be in that Jack Grealish bubble. He is living 100% of the time the kind of stuff that is headed Jack Grealish's way. Mikel Arteta lives in the Arsenal bubble 100% of the time. He hears everything that pertains to him and Arsenal and has happened to them. So can you understand why we won't necessarily think that Mikel Arteta needs to adopt a siege mentality because it's completely ridiculous given the context that we've explained. But can can you at least understand with maybe Jack Grealish having doubters in his mind because he has seen all of the doubters because he's Jack Grealish or because Mikel Arteta is calling up the siege mentality trope because he actually feels like he is in the middle of a maelstrom, which requires that sort of response. Well, when Chinch was playing, which isn't that long ago. It is. I, I, it's I'm a generation sure, I, nearly, I, Steve. I, I'm trying to lift you back up again, Chinch. Oh, sorry, after, sorry, carry after on. After Hugh yeah. beat you down savagely. Yeah, on the tattoos, it, terrible. If in, in, in Chinch's era, I suppose unless you, if you were being criticised within the stadium as a player, you'd have become aware of it. Mm. You might have seen some in in the local media if you so choose to read it. But I assume it was much more easily avoidable. Yeah. Whereas now, we've got the voices that that weren't necessarily previously unheard, but the voices that previously didn't exist to all intents and purposes because if that criticism is coming in an online environment from supporters that might identify as fans of of clubs but don't necessarily you know we've got no proof that they actually support those teams Rory mentioned the the Phil Jones situation which is very sad for him and, and absolutely disgusting that he gets that kind of abuse it may be coming from people who claim to be or identify as Manchester United supporters, but it, those are, they're unlikely to be match-going 
Manchester United supporters. They will make their feelings known within the stadium. So the, it, it's it's a new level, isn't it? The voices mm-hmm. are coming from an environment and from areas where they, they didn't previously come from. That, though, doesn't make them any less relevant and what they've got to say any less painful. I think I think there's a... There's a flip. Social media is the driver of a lot of this, and I suspect that if there has been a change in the way that players believe that they are being treated in general, that the answer is social media. Because I don't believe that players read read newspapers deliberately, seek out newspapers. I think they probably end up being sent stuff about them by people they know. I like the idea that Chinch used to uh, pull over at the petrol station just before he hit the Snake Pass on the way home and grab a copy of the Sheffield Star Pink. To, to see how his performance that afternoon had been, uh, had been never Hinchcliffe three. Yeah, that was my number. Oh no, they've got that right. Knew again. what it was going to be. So right every what, week. Why put myself through it? Four at best. But the, I think the problem with, with social media is that there is a there's a flip side. So it's always presented as a way for athletes in this case to interact with their public and make sure their voice is heard, which is true and is valuable. But I think it also gives that public a chance to feel ownership of that athlete in a way that is probably not entirely healthy. And because the pub, a lot of what the public wants to say to, to the athlete, half, I mean, half, probably half and half, half will be fawning adoration and the other half will be gra- basically fairly, fairly groundless spite. And that's, that is the issue. So I, I suspect it is the case that m- most players are aware of what's being, in my experience, are aware of what's being said to them on social media, even if they don't run those accounts. And it, and as it does for all of us, it will it will cut to the quick. And that fawning adoration will be, be well received and embraced and acted upon in terms of, of how it makes that player feel. But one assumes it can't drown out the, the spite of which you have also mm. spoken, Rory. Andy, four at best, Hinchcliffe. Also, also the policy I'd adopt with body art, if, if you're asking my opinion, for it best. I've known you a long time. Your, your views on tattoos, it's just pointless. I was there for one of them. You tattooed me. <laughs> no, a nice lady in the East Village in New York City. Tattooed, oh, of course. Yes. your upper arm. With that when you word, passed out? With, with the word Hugh, which is... Yeah. Which explains a lot. Yeah, it's when he passed out, we just dragged him out into the street, left him in the gutter. But Would, yeah. you, get, would you get a set-piece menu tattoo? No, no. <laughs> I get a I get a massive picture of your face on my back. Rory. My f- my favourite tattoo in football. Have I told? Have I, I must have told you this before? No. Pablo Zabaleta on his chest, picture of his mum. Right. Which means that whenever he was, you know, getting get getting to the the business end of the evening with his his good lady girlfriend or wife. Yeah. She, she tore off his his you know slim fit shirt. Blues from, on. Blues on. <laughs> blues on. <laughs> Like a 17th century vampire. <laughs> like meatloaf. <laughs> I mean, some of those pee with third kits are bad, but they're oh. not. <laughs> I would do anything for love, but I won't yeah. do love whilst I'm looking at your mum. I won't exactly. do you, Pablo. Can you imagine, like, you you know, you're sort of, you're, you're in a steamy clinch and suddenly this, this picture of your mother-in-law appears. What an awful business. 
at that point, I feel like we've gone enough enough of a tangent to leave it there. And it is time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is an Andy usually tells the tale for his playing or broadcasting days with all adult behaviour and libel where the details removed. But Chinch, we have something to clear up from a couple of weeks ago. So I refer you to an email from, once again, Ewan Haig. Dear mm-hmm. Seven Caps t-shirt, Buffalo Bison orange t-shirt, Out of Context Reacher t-shirt, and Train by Joao. Yes t-shirt all available at tpublic.com he hasn't put that in i have because we cannot go for 10 minutes without saying it says ewan i was on a mini break in wisconsin last week so i've only just caught up with spm 243 really enjoyed the discussion of the messy transfer and the financial implications of it all of course i'm writing to thank you for reading my email about my dad's programs programs book and its discussion of a youthful Andy Hinchcliffe's 1988 forklift truck adventure. I've attached the requested photographic evidence that was in the programme, which I believe my father, Cliff, has already tweeted out. Indeed, he has. As you can see, Andy is definitely there in the back row. You can tell by the chin. Although, who is that with a fantastic moustache in the front? I do believe that's Mr. Kenny Clement, is it not? It is, it is, yes. Anyway, given that Andy has no memory of this event, I can only assume that it happened in the last five minutes of the factory tour and his mind had already turned to thinking about the evening's Chinese takeaway. Uh, Cheers from Ewan. And I will just read the section uh, from said element of book, which says, Perhaps one of the highlights was the sight of unique forklift truck used to load and unload pallets in the massive warehouse. The forklift is apparently the highest in Europe lifting pallets to a height of 13 metres, approximately 40 feet, with a control cap even higher. After a brief demonstration, some of the players were given the opportunity to see if they had a head for heights. While some were clearly not so keen, Eric Nixon, Steve Redmond, Andy Hinchcliffe, Ian Brightwell, David White, Kenny Clements and Paul Simpson showed no fear and were lifted heavenwards under the nervous gaze of Jimmy Frizzell and Mel Machin, the Manchester City uh, management staff. So there you go, Chinch. P- uh, pictorial yeah. evidence that you did indeed do something that you cannot remember at the Brother Factory as part of a, a sponsorship tour uh, while you're yeah, at I was I was clearly there, and we're all wearing lapel badges. Mine says, "Hi, I'm Chinch. Can I help you?" Did I did I work at the factory as well as being a, a sensational young prospect at Manchester City? I, I, you think you'd remember that, wouldn't you? Being lifted on a forklift, but I have absolutely no memory of it whatsoever. But I look sharp, don't I? Look look at that grey suit, absolutely divine. I get the impression that uh, Kenny Clements' perm and moustache combo was very much like the tool in Men in Black that made you forget everything that happened in his presence. Yeah, but if you if you said, what were you doing with that moustache and curly mullet, he'd have just smashed you in the face. So you, you tended to say, Kenny, you look great. <laughs> he looked like a country and western singer for about 20 years. It's amazing. And take note, Pat Nevin, um, Cliff has kindly, via his publisher, sent us a free copy of said book. Uh, keep your correspondence coming to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Also, buy the merch. Buy the merch. tpublic.com. Just search for setpiecemenu or SPM. And don't forget to enter the SPM PLPL at tinyurl.com forward slash setpiecemenu. You have until Friday the 3rd of September. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Stephen, to Rory, and Andy, and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. How, how far through the sentence, right, b- before the players go, We'd just like to put seven of them on this forklift truck. Do you think you'd get through now before a Premier League club's press officer cuts you off? I'm really interested in how many 0.5% beers Steve has drunk. Does it, he yeah. does seem slightly... What did you, what did you eat slurry. at the barbecue, Steve? And maybe we could work out what you drank. Have you had burgers or is it chicken? What, what have you gone for? Uh, 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 all of that. 
a bit of burgers, a all bit of, chicken, of that sausage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was some jerk chicken as well. You've you had it. one non-alcoholic beer. Very, you... very low alcoholic beer. You've Jim. got a head like a beef tomato. You <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly I, I made been a... drinking more than that. It was actually. You have a very low tolerance for alcohol. <laughs> It was, was getting it, very was chilly outside. I've put a top on as I sat down to speak to you idiots and the error of my ways became apparent is much hotter in the house than it was outside <laughs> it. This is, that is a pathetic excuse. That Steve is the is, Mikel Arteta level excuse. Steve is... Oh, look, listen, there are lots of people out there criticising Steve <laughs> for not being able to string a sentence together this, this week. <laughs> but it's nothing to do with his... His massive alcohol consumption immediately before recording. Look, if it was a if it was a Mikel Arteta excuse, I'd have used it at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs>